Well, good morning, Luminous Church, baby. Come on now. Come on. Give yourself a hand. Give yourself a hand. Clap for yourself, or you should, because it's a great day to be at church, and it's a great day to see your faces. And I'm excited for just this series that we've been in called By God, believing that God has a specific word and mission for you, that you were created on purpose, for purpose, to advance his kingdom on the earth, which is an amazing mission, and it's not an auxiliary mission, it's not something that's an aftermath, it's something that is absolutely part of your design and why he made you to love him and love others. Everybody say, love him. Everybody say, love others. Turn to your neighbor and say, I love you. And turn to your other neighbor and say, I love you too. Awesome. Well, we're going to be in several verses this morning. Ephesians chapter 4 will be our theme verse as we move into this moment of called by God and the calling that he has placed on our life. Called by God, a worthy manner. Called to live in a worthy manner. In 2012, I was on the road, Highway 191, headed from Midland, Texas to Odessa, Texas. Yes, I'm a West Texan. It's why I say naked instead of naked. It's why I say butter instead of better. It's why I use all these verbiages because I grew up really hick, really slang, and I didn't know how to say anything correctly. Thank God for Chantal Marithi who corrects me anytime I say anything incorrectly. It helps me, Chantal. Let's give her a hand. Yes. Those are the moments. Those are the moments. I was driving down West Texas, down Highway 191, and there, uh, a lot of you know our story, but it was in that moment that I received a phone call. And the phone call was my friend Peter. Peter was a pastor of a student-led church there in San Marcos who was reaching Texas State and the Bobcats, and they started out as a student ministry. He became the senior pastor because the other pastor left, and he was a college student, and when he graduated, he was like, well, why not just take over the church? He raised up many leaders and sent them out, and he was working hand-in-hand with a young man named Austin Fontenot, who was working as a college student at UTSA. I likewise was serving college students and serving on the campus ministry, discipling the next generation of leaders. How many know the college students are the next generation of leaders? It's why we're intentional to go after them. It's why we care about them. It's why we partner with them and love them and support that ministry arm through our church. Well, when I was doing that at Mid-Cities and I was doing campus ministry, I, I received a phone call from Peter. He said, hey, man, what are you doing? I said, I'm actually headed to UT Permian Basin. I'm on 191, about to love some college students, about to share the gospel. He said, hey, I have a question for you. I said, go ahead. He said, have you ever considered or thought about planting a church in San Antonio, Texas? And to my surprise, as that question came on that other end of that telephone, He didn't know, but that was the only place that my wife and I had ever considered planting a church was San Antonio. Her family was from here. She grew up going here. As I like to say, she likes likes chips and salsa and not fish and chips. So we were never going to Scotland like I had wanted. 
And, and it was in that moment that I got this call to step into a new season of my life. And I know that many of you have received a phone call like that. Maybe it was a call from somebody who was about to propose. Maybe it was a call on a business dealing that was going to change your life forever. Maybe it was a call. Maybe it was good and maybe it was bad. But there's all these calls that we receive and they change the trajectory of our life. When he asked me that question, I said that's the only place we had considered planting a church. But little did he know the time before that phone call. The time before that phone call was very interesting, and I'm going to be transparent with you this morning, because I like to be transparent. I like to be an open book, and I hope that maybe if I do that with you, you'll do that with one another and with me, and we can grow in larger depth in our community. It was in that moment when he got that call, it was about six months prior to that, before I started campus ministry, I was in youth ministry. I was working for a large church there, about 2,500 people or so at mid-cities, and I was overseeing the high school ministry. Well, it was in this moment, as I was loving students and doing all that, I, I found out that I'm like an Enneagram 7, where I'm spontaneous, I, I, I shuck responsibility, I run from confrontation. If you know me, you, you kind of know, Enneagram 7s, any Enneagram 7s in here? Okay, two of us, praise God, three, okay, thank you. Well, we are the life of the party, and we're going to bring the party to you. We're going to make sure that you have fun, and we're going to take you to do things that you have never wanted to do. Praise God. And so here I was, the life of the party, and students loved it. High school students loved it. They were attracted to that youth ministry. But there was a little bit of irresponsibility in Ben Chapman. And I'm going somewhere with this story. See, it was in this moment that I received an email from a mother who said that her son had been incarcerated. Well, obviously, right there, when I read the email, my heart was moved. But then I left, and I forgot about it. Have you ever done that? You read something you forgot about, maybe a text. It was all innocent. It wasn't malicious. There's no malicious intent. I love students. Well, then she left me a voicemail. Well, I got the voicemail, and then something happened, and I had to leave, and I forgot. Uh-oh, you know where this is headed. Twice that happened, and it was then when my supervisor, the executive pastor who oversaw me, said, hey, we need to meet because this is unacceptable. And I got a phone call from a mother whose son has been incarcerated, who's been trying to get a hold of you and hasn't gotten a response. Well, as you know, the lump in my throat went down or up. Does it go up or down? I'm not sure. But there was a lump. And it was in that moment I was like, oh, man. He goes, we need to meet tomorrow morning, and we need to talk about what's going on. Okay, no problem. Well, it was the next morning, and I have this ongoing discipleship group because I'm making disciples because we're called to make disciples. Amen? We're called to make disciples. So there I am making disciples. I have a group of men. I'm pouring into them, and all of a sudden got real deep. You know how those get real deep. Got real intense. We're, we're talking about ministry. We're talking about what's going on in each other's life. And it got real deep. And then what do you know? I got a phone call. And it was 20 minutes after I was supposed to be at the meeting. I had forgotten again. Now, this sounds irresponsible. And I want to tell you, it is. Completely irresponsible. Here I am 
called to be a youth pastor, called by God to love students, to disciple them, to go to the ends of the earth or into prisons and other places, into schools and wherever students may be. When there is a call, I am there. This is what I'm supposed to do. Well, it was at that moment, and some of you may know this and can relate to this. Some of you can't, you, you Enneagram 1s, you know, you Enneagram 3s. You probably don't know. But for us 7s, we know quite well. It was in that moment that they said, brought me into the office and said, hey, we can't have a youth pastor who's this irresponsible. We think that maybe you should move into a different area. And the lump of the throat was there. I had been doing youth ministry for six years, seen hundreds of students come to know Christ, ran youth camps and retreats and denows. I drove kids across the country. Yes, this irresponsible guy was driving buses and vans and students everywhere. We were experiencing the gospel. We were discipling. And in this moment, I was like, there's no way. There's no way. Nothing malicious, no ill intent. Nothing like that. And it was in this moment that I got this phone call. Have you ever thought about planting a church in San Antonio six months later? I said, yes, I have. But man, I don't know if I'm ready. I don't know if I'm ready. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. There is this moment when we're called by God that we as believers walk in a worthy manner that is above reproach, above the norm, above the culture around us, above all the statuses. We walk in a way not like other people. Is that true if you're a Christian? You walk differently. You're called to walk differently. And here Paul is saying, you are supposed to walk differently. You're supposed to walk differently. Now, I don't want you to confuse where I'm going today because I don't want calling to be confused with the fact that it is who you are rather than what you do as a son and a daughter. How many know that's true? Your place with God and your calling with God, it is your who, it is your identity, it is being a son and daughter, and nothing changes that in the kingdom. Just like you can't unson or undaughter your kids, although you want to sometimes. You can't do that. They, they are yours. They are your bloodline. This is who they are, and this is who we are with him. We are called by God to be his beloved, his sons, his daughters. But here we have Paul urging us to walk in a manner that's worthy of your calling. You are called, but now I want to up your calling into this, a worthy walk, a worthy manner. This is something that we are learning time and time again. And for me, when I was transitioned out of youth ministry into college ministry, because, you know, they didn't care about college students. Into college ministry, it was this moment that I had to grow up and I had to learn, okay, I've been a little irresponsible. It's taken me a little longer than some to try to figure this out. I'm in my 20s. I'll figure it out by my 30s, hopefully. It was in this moment that I was, I was realizing that it was time to mature and walk in a calling that is worthy of the kingdom, that is worthy of representation of our king. 
who loves people so well. The first thing I want to let you know, as we are called, we're called to be countercultural. You are not called to just task, but a life, a holy life, one that is set apart. In Romans 12, 1 through 2, it says this. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life. You're sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants for you and quickly respond to it. Everybody say quickly. Unlike the culture around you always dragging you down to its level of immaturity. God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. We are to be counter-cultural Christians. That we're not just supposed to blend into culture as we read in Romans 12. That there's this maturity that God wants to do in us. I'm telling you, when you get reprimanded at a job, when you get written up, when your wife is mad at you because you said you're going to be home at one time, but you were home a little later, right? When you said that you were going to do certain things and you fell through and you didn't accomplish everything that you said and you promised. I want to tell you that we're supposed to be counterculture, meaning this. Quit making excuses for your misses and mistakes. You see, sometimes I, I would say, the world would say, hey, just go to your friends. Start talking bad about your bosses. Say, man, they don't really care about making disciples because I was making disciples. You know, I was, I was sitting there. I was, I was too busy doing ministry. I didn't even have time to respond to an email. I didn't even have time to respond to a phone call. I was going to get to it at some point. You see, we make all these excuses and do all these things to justify our position. But isn't that what culture does? Culture would teach us to make excuses, to start gossip circles, to start a mutiny, to start all these things, to get people on your side. All I wanted to do was go to my wife and vent about how bad my pastors were. All I wanted to do was go to my best friends. You can't believe what they did to me. You see, when you're called by God, you can't play victim. You got to walk in victory. You got to walk above the noise. You got to walk above where he's called you to walk. You have to embrace who you are and realize there's a maturity about you. In fact, I, the Lord gave me a word as I was transitioning from six years of youth ministry into college ministry. He said this, Ben, great leaders transition with a great attitude. Great leaders transition with a great attitude. It moved me to this place of maturation where I realized I'm going to make the best of this situation. I'm going to love college students. I'm going to be responsible. I'm going to respond to emails and phone calls. I'm going to grow up. Ben Chapman, it's time to grow up into some maturation. I'm going to start not just winging everything. I'm actually going to dive in and study. And I'm going to move into a position and place. And I'm going to quit making excuses, quit playing victim, and walk into the maturation God has for me. Because that maturation is where you'll find calling. It's where you're going to find the, the goodness of God, the things that he wants to do in you and through you to make a difference in this world. That we would fix our attention on God. 
And some of us just want to fall in to culture, an insomniac life where you're sitting there on TikTok after TikTok after TikTok after TikTok and hours are going by. And all of a sudden you're up way later than you thought you would be. And now you are going to be sleepy at work and not giving your best to the mission that God has for you the next day. Maybe some of us have just been so mindless, so zoned out into the news media where we've been watching CNN and CNN and more CNN. Or we've been watching Blaze TV and more Blaze TV and more Blaze TV. And, and we find ourselves going into insomniac rhythms. Cultural rhythms, cultural adaptations where we start adapting to our culture and start becoming where we don't look any different than those who are not of God. We look just like them. But God is saying, you're called. I'm maturing you. Fix your attention on me. We're also called to walk out our covenants. Called to walk out your covenant. There's different covenants that God has placed before you and different covenants that you've stepped in. I want to touch on something this morning, if you let me, for a few moments. I know it's very dangerous to step into this territory. And first off, I want to let you know that any part of the sermon is not to beat you up or beat you over the head or condemn you or judge you. I hope that you're getting some insight and revelation that you're realizing, man, am I counterculture? Am I Embracing God's plan. Am I walking into his calling? See, God cares very much about covenants. And in Mark chapter 10, we read about this moment. In verse 1, it says, Jesus then left that place and went into the region of Judea and across the Jordan. Again, crowds of people came to him. And as was his custom, he taught them. Some Pharisees came and tested him by asking, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? I love when they try to test Jesus. Oh, what did Moses command you, he replied. It said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. It was because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote you this law, Jesus replied. But at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. And the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. When they were in the house again, the disciples asked Jesus about this. He answered, anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another man, she commits adultery. This moment has been very testy for us, hasn't it? When we read about divorce, and we know that 50% of marriages are going to end in divorce, and so there's many people in this room that I'm talking to. And so I want to be gentle as I move into this passage, because it's not to bring up more hurt. It's not to bring up more pain. You see, in the Old Testament, in the old law, when Moses was around, he saw that in order for our society to function, the, the Jewish society to function, the, it, we have to make it permissible for them to write a certificate of divorce. Usually if it was marital unfaithfulness was the primary reason. And so they would make that applicable. But you got to realize that in this moment, 
Herod was married to Herodias, and in this moment, John the Baptist, who baptized Jesus, was speaking out against Herod, talking about this kind of divorce was adultery because now he has his brother's wife, and talking about the situation that probably existed that wasn't for a cause that was justified of just unfaithfulness. So the Jews were asking Jesus, in the place that Herod was, to indict Jesus, just like John the Baptist was indicted and thrown in prison, wrongfully so, they were trying to trap Jesus. So here they are. Maybe we could trap Jesus on this question. Maybe we can get him. And here's what Jesus says. Jesus says, hey, you can't get divorced for any cause that you want. You see, they were trying to find causation. Can, can, can you get divorced for any reason, as we read in the Matthew account? Can you get divorced for any odd reason? And, and in this moment, Jesus is like, no, no, if there's adultery, then there's maybe cause, there's permission because of your hard heart. What I want to tell you, and what I wanted to tell the disciples in the inner room, is that God has better. God has better. You see, when you're called by God and you enter into a covenant relationship with him, he has your best in mind. When he moves you into covenant relationship of marriage, he has your best in mind. That's why he referred to Adam and Eve, where he said, hey, this was the best thing for Adam. And this was the best thing for Eve. This covenant was the best thing. When you're called by God, you all of a sudden are reminded that covenant is important. And God has your best in mind. When you're called by God, you keep covenant. Calling also means the lights are always on. It means the lights are always on. You, you can't act like the world. You talk, your talk should be different. right? Your speech should be seasoned with salt, seasoned with grace. You should be speaking words that honor him. You may be listening to different music. You may be watching different images you your diet may be different when you follow jesus because you just can't give yourself over to whatever pleasures you want in life you see there's this different moving where we are salt and light on the earth when we're called by god to walk in a worthy manner it's a representation of what jesus has done in us and through us that comes out of us and there's fruits and evidence that we've walked with god the way that you love your wife, your husband, your friendships, your coworkers, the way you transition in moments when it's so hard to transition, the way that you turn the other cheek. See, the lights are always on, and I think this is sometimes unfair. You feel like it's unfair a little bit? Like, that's no fair. Like, why? I was talking to Jaron this week. We were at somewhere, and uh, I it was one of those counters where they give you the credit card you know moment where you can leave a receipt for placing an order over the counter and those things annoy me just to let you know like I'm coming up here I'm asking for my order I'm telling you my order you're putting it in and then the tip comes up right the tip well you're supposed to leave a tip for something that you're going to go pick up from the counter in a little bit and you're like what am I tipping you for am I the only one yeah, praise God. Unless you work there and you're like, please tip. So I'm sitting there with a line behind me, 
People know I'm a pastor. I've been trying to love this person. Tell them about Jesus. I've been telling this person about Jesus. I've been trying to encourage Jaron to follow Jesus. And there the tip comes up, and I'm like, I don't want a tip. How many know it's just not fair? It's just not fair. So I sit there, and I leave a tip. And you can't leave the low tip. You can't leave the high tip. <laughs> You'd be broke. So you leave the, leave the middle tip. And I leave the middle tip, and I told, go to Jaron. I go, Jaron, it's just, it's just not fair. Like, I feel like everybody knows I'm a pastor. And if I tip 100 times, there we go. Got some keys. Josh, we don't even need the keys right now, but bro, play them. Play them all the way through the rest of the sermon. So, so here I am. I could have tipped 100 times. I could, could have, I could have tipped 200 times. And the one time I don't tip is the one time somebody sees it and goes, that guy's a pastor at Luminous Church. Or they go, that guy goes to Luminous Church. I remember when that guy invited me his Bible study. He tips nothing. He gets the zero every time. Not even the 10. And it feels like unfair. And I know I'm playing nuances and I'm, I'm messing with us. And you're like, man, is it really that, that big of a deal? I just want to let you know. Sorry, Josh. We're just so, thanks. Y'all give it up for Josh. Josh, I'm, 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 I feel like Lord wants to say something with or without keys today. One time I don't tip, I feel like everybody's looking. And everybody's judging and everybody's moving a moment. Have you ever felt like that? Maybe the one time you lost your cool because, you know, the lawn man cut your lawn really crazy. Or you lost your cool because you lost an insurance policy that lapsed and you didn't even realize it. Or you lost your cool over something and you realize, man, I was not Jesus in that moment. You see, it happens to us all the time, doesn't it? It happens to us all the time. But integrity is who you are when no one is looking, who you are when no one is looking around. And as a believer, we walk in a worthy that is a, a, a manner that is worthy of the calling. We walk in a way not like the world walks. See, the light is always on. It's always on. We're always light. Wherever we go, we're light. And so are we full of him and full of the spirit wherever we go. Now, lights on doesn't mean naivety. It doesn't mean naivety. It doesn't mean avoidance. It doesn't mean there is no conflict. You see, there's moments in our life where we still have to go and we still have to move. And there's moments in our life where we still have to confront. There's real issues out there. And oftentimes we have to bring light to those issues. We have to bring light to the issue of human trafficking and the numbers in our city. We have to bring light to the situation when there's racist comments in our friend circles. We have to bring light to situations of, of orphans in our city. And right now, there's a lack of foster care homes in our city. And there's not enough of them. We have to bring light into evil situations. But light doesn't judge. Light illuminates love wherever it goes. And it makes, oftentimes, hidden things visible. And it calls things out. And it calls things up. 
The best people who do this are the ones who bring relationship over religion, the ones who bring love over legalism, and the ones who bring peace in war. These are the ones that God has called us to be. He's called us to walk in this worthy manner. And as we walk in that, we come into a place where we don't walk arrogantly. We're not overly confident. We walk in a way that is, that is moving in such a way where we're critical thinkers. We're able to discern different situations and able to see what we're supposed to move into. Charles Stanley says this on the verse in the chapter I just read. God is realistic about our faults. He gives us a high standard to shoot for, but since he is mindful that we are but dust, he also keeps our weaknesses in mind when dealing with us. Yet that is not an excuse for us to sin. He always calls us to obey him and refuse to compromise what we know is right. And when we honor him with our conduct, he blesses us with an abundant sense of peace, joy, and goodness. The last thing that we see in our calling is that grace keeps the phone ringing. That every time we're called into something, God calls you into a new step, a new season, a new workplace, a new institution, a new neighborhood. Whatever God calls you into, he keeps calling even when we mess up and make mistakes. How many know that's true? You see, when I was in that moment when I was going to be transitioned, right, out of youth ministry, my life flashed before my eyes. I, I was like, man, I, I left a $100,000 job for this just to be left on the curb, you know, with no place to call home, being a little dramatic. It was this moment when I, I really did question, well, God, you called me to ministry. You called me to pastor, and here is a redirection. You see, the amazing thing about God is you never miss it. You never miss it. You see, there may be an opportunity that went by, but God is always calling. He's always moving. He's always calling you into a new season, a new, a new place, into a new walk. He's calling you. When you feel like you've made mistakes and, and you messed up, he's saying, hey, my grace is sufficient for you. Get back up. I love you. For some of us who find ourselves here this morning, as we begin to close, I would say this. Some of you may felt like, man, I've missed God. I haven't been following him or obeying him. I've fallen short over and over and over again. Can I tell you, you're not alone. You're not alone. Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every single one of us fell over and over and over again. But it's God's grace that redeems and allows us to move into a place of winning. Romans 8, 1 says this. There is therefore, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. I want to encourage you this morning. You may have felt in God's calling, you may feel like you've let him down. You may have not walked in a worthy manner. You may have walked in a very unworthy manner. You may have left yourself in a place where you fell back into an addiction. Where you said, I'm not going to do that anymore. And then you found yourself right back into it. Maybe you found yourself doing things that you didn't think you would do. And you are in that place. And God's saying, it's not over. 
It's not over. I love you. I can redeem you. I can rescue you. God is amazing because when you mess up, he cleans it up. When you fail, he reminds you it's not over. This is our God whose grace is sufficient for us in our weakness. God is light in dark places to confront situations, to live above the noise. This is what he's called us to. I want to pray for you this morning. If you wouldn't mind bowing your head and closing your eyes. Over and over and over again, but God, you are us, and that you would transform us. That you are redeemed.